Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 1.16 Many people read the first chapter of Romans and pass by this verse without knowing its true meaning. A closer look at the Greek manuscript shows that this phrase, to the Jew first, means that bringing the gospel to the chosen people needs to be prioritized. This verse has become a motto for our ministry as we seek to bring the hopeful message of the Messiah to Jewish people around the world. We invited Dr. Rich Freeman, our Vice President of Church Ministries, to share about the Apostle Paul's heart behind writing this verse and the responsibility we have as believers in Yeshua to remember this verse and live it out. Rich is also the author of The Heart of the Apostle, a commentary on Romans 9 through 11. Rich, welcome to Our Hope. Thank you, Abe. It's good to be with you. So, Rich, uh, every time I interview someone, I I have to ask a very, very important question, um, and, and you have to be very honest. You grew up in New York. I grew up in Brooklyn. You grew up in Brooklyn, so this will be an easy question for you. What's your favorite New York food? My favorite New York food is uh, Nathan's hot dogs. Nathan's hot dogs. But from Coney Island. It's got to be from Coney Island. Yeah. You have to have the ambiance of the smells and everything with it. It's and so conditions. <laughs> they have the best French fries. Those, those crunchy French, fry. yeah, French, yeah, French fries are good too. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Uh, so, Rich, thank you so much for being with us. We are very excited to jump into this topic. But before we do, we'd love to hear a little bit about you um, and how you came to faith. Can you briefly share maybe a couple of minutes about how uh, you, you found faith in Yeshua? Sure. Um, I'm one of those people that uh, can sort of look at my spiritual pilgrimages beginning in the marketplace. And what I mean by that is uh, the first person who ever shared the gospel with me was a coworker. He actually was 
uh, the general manager of the office that I worked in. I was a, a uh, financial analyst for a large corporation. And uh, he was a Texan, deep, deep Texas draw. Uh, and he was transferred to our office in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, and I began noticing that was there was something really different about him, uh, the way he acted towards people, uh, the way he seemed always upbeat. And there was, there was just a piece about him that I had never seen in, in anyone before. And we became mm -hmm. friends. Uh, I, I was a direct report of his, so we worked a lot together. And uh, I, I sort of became envious of, of the way he was because he never seemed to get rattled. Nothing ever really seemed to bother him. And so um, one day we were having lunch together uh, and uh, on the way to the restaurant uh, in New York City, uh, which is where I was working, uh, I asked him, I said, if, if I asked you a, a personal question, will you, you give me a straight answer? And he said, sure, what is it? And, and I used to tease him a lot. I teased him the way he talked because of his Southern draw. I, he was a military guy, so he, he looked like he had a two-by-four in his back. He, he always <laughs> stood up real straight. And I said, uh, tell me the truth. You're a space alien, aren't you? <laughs> and he started laughing. He says, what do you mean? And I said, well, uh, I've never met anybody like you. Uh, so the only conclusion I could come to is your people did a bad job of studying humanity because you're not like any human being I've ever met before. And uh, he said to me, Rich, what are you really asking me? And I said, well, I said, you're always upbeat and happy. I never hear a bad word come out of your mouth. You, there's a peace and a calmness about you that I've never seen in anyone before. Right. I said, you're just not like anybody I've ever seen before. What's the deal with you? And it's, it was really funny because uh, he said to me, I really remember it distinctly. He said, are you sure you want to hear the answer? Mm. And I said, yeah, I want to know. What, what's the deal with you? Why are you so different? And so we went back to his office, and he told me to close the door, and uh, which he had never done before. And then he took out of his desk drawer the biggest Bible I had ever seen in my life <laughs> and slammed it on his desk. And he says, this is what makes me different. He says, wow. I, I read the word of God every day. Mm. He said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. And at that point, he lost me. I, I was thinking, oh, man, what have I done? Uh, the guy wants to tell me about Jesus. Instant he regret. Said, yeah, yeah. He said something to me, though, that I had never heard before. And I think I was 27, 28 years old at the time. Oh, that's my age. Yeah, well, it's a long time ago. And uh, he said, Rich, he, Jesus isn't only my Savior. Uh, he's your Messiah. He's the one you've been waiting for. Wow. He came once. He died for your sins. He's coming again, and you need to believe in him. Wow. And that really kind of started me off on, on, on my own spiritual pilgrimage, but it was a seed that he planted. Right. Uh, and quite frankly, his lifestyle, the way mm. he lived his life in a very tense office environment made me jealous. Mm. And that's that's very scriptural, as we'll see. Yeah. You know, he, he provoked me to jealousy. Right. And and he really invested in his relationships, he did. particularly with you. Yes. And that led you to ask what that's all about. Right. <laughs> Especially right. in so, New York, you know, people don't really invest their time like that to begin with. So no, I, no. I can definitely see, you know, why that would cause you to ask those questions. Yeah. And, you know, as a Jewish man, the last thing I expected him to was 
I expected him to tell me about was was Jesus. I, I probably I figured he probably was taking some self help tapes and uh, going to that conferences. Was the last thing I expected, <laughs> yeah, yeah, how to win friends and influence people. Right, right, right. So that's that's awesome, and you know, I'm I, I'm amazed that that's your story because um, what we're talking about today is uh, Romans one sixteen, and um, and that story is just has that built into it. It's just it's just pretty amazing. Um, but before we get there, I, I'd love for our listeners just to know a little bit about um, how you became a part of CPM and what exactly it is you do in our in our ministry. Well, uh, how I became part of CPM really comes in two parts because uh, I got saved in, in 1983, and uh, three years later I I moved to Dallas, Texas. Uh, where I went to Dallas Theological Seminary. And while I was there, I, I was hired to work as a part-time missionary for Chosen People Ministries. So that was the late 1980s. Mm. And when I finished in Dallas, I went back to New York and pastored a Messianic congregation and eventually a Baptist church. And uh, while I was in New York, uh, uh, my closest friend in ministry was a man named Mitch Glazer, who's <laughs> the president of Chosen People. We, we became close friends, mm-hmm. and he was working for Jews for Jesus at the time when we became friends. And later on, when he became the president of Chosen People Ministries, uh, for those in our ministry, we know this, Mitch is an incredible recruiter, <laughs> and he just started recruiting me to work with him. Uh, and so eventually... Uh, I became uh, the vice president of church ministries uh, because of my background in the pastorate and, and work with churches around the country. Right. Uh, but really, uh, like I said, it's in two parts because I worked for chosen people when I was in seminary uh, more than 30 years ago. Hmm. So Rich, in today's episode, like I mentioned, we are focusing on the scripture, Romans 116, which says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And this scripture has sort of been a rallying cry throughout the 126 years of Chosen People Ministries existence. But what I'm finding, you know, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more, is that a lot of Christians kind of cut out that to the Jew first and also to the Greek part. They kind of just stop right there at the God for salvation to everyone who believes, period. <laughs> but there's right. a, there's an ending part to that sense, to that scripture. Um, so my first question to you is why do you believe Paul, an apostle to the Gentiles said the gospel is to the Jew first? Well, I think what Paul was wanting to, uh, reiterate to his new Gentile believers that he was leading to faith is that there was a priority, uh, of the gospel to bring to Jewish people. And, And what I mean by that, uh, in that, uh, in that uh, verse, uh, in the Greek, there's the word proton. Mm. And proton is a very interesting word uh, in that it means first, foremost, but especially. And I think that was the emphasis that Paul wanted to bring to his uh, Gentile believers, is that this is a Jewish message about the Jewish Messiah, and who more than the Jewish people need to hear that. Mm-hmm. And so that became uh, his emphasis, the idea that the, the gospel was especially for Jewish people, because uh, as the apostle to the Gentiles, and 
having been mistreated badly by his Jewish brethren, uh, as you read through the book of Acts, there could have been this sense that Paul was done with the Jewish people. But that was the furthest thing from the truth. And Paul wanted clearly to emphasize the fact that the gospel is clearly a Jewish message written by Jewish people, except for, for Luke. And uh, primarily, uh, he wanted to make sure that they understood that they needed to continue bringing the gospel uh, to the Jewish people ongoing. Hmm. So while the follower of Jesus were considered part of Judaism, it looks like the gospel message was not popular among the Israelites. Why is that? Well, I think it was how the, the Jewish people at the time Jesus came to them looked, looked at him and looked at uh, the idea of a Messiah. Uh, Israel uh, and Judah were under uh, Roman domination, Roman oppression uh, for quite a long time. And what the Israelites were waiting for and were hoping for was that the Messiah would come to free them from Roman oppression. What they were really looking for was not a spiritual Messiah who would come to save them from their sins. They wanted a political Messiah who would come to save them from the Romans. Mm -hmm. And uh, when Jesus came, when he was turned over to the uh, Roman authorities eventually and was uh, crucified, uh, that left sort of a bad taste in their mouth, not realizing that the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, talked about a Messiah who would suffer before he would reign as king. Mm -hmm. And they just never reconciled that. And so there was a, a constant antagonism between those Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah uh, versus those who did believe. And so there was there, there was a constant back and forth uh, where the, the uh, non-believing Jews did not uh, accept the Messianic Jews as part of who they were. So I know we're talking about Romans 1.16, but I know in Romans 11.11, Paul actually gives Gentiles a special commission to provoke Israel to jealousy. And that scripture reminds me of your testimony, yeah. um, where your uh, your your boss uh, basically provoked you to jealousy without you even knowing it. Um, so, what did this actually mean for the believers back then? Well, it's interesting because uh, when you think of the Great Commission uh, at the end of Matthew, uh, Jesus told his Jewish followers, "Go and make disciples of all the nations." So, in other words, the original Great Commission was really. Uh, the risen Jesus speaking to Jewish followers, telling them to bring the gospel to the Gentile world, to all the nations. Right. And now, as the as the church has become more and more uh, Gentile, really through the ministry of Paul, Paul is telling his Gentile believers, now you need to bring the message back to the original messengers. You need to take that message clearly back to the ones who brought it to you. Right. And, and I think you know, as you say, it's, I think Romans eleven eleven really is a Gentile great commission mm. because it's specifically to Gentiles to bring the gospel back to Jewish people. And the best way to do that is make sure, uh, you know, I'll use a cliche, make sure they uh, walk the walk before mm. they talk the talk. Right, right. That's actually a great segue. Just thinking about the church history, you know, uh, it seems that Paul made it very clear that we need to bring the gospel to the Jew first and also to the Gentile and telling Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. But how has the church succeeded or failed in sharing the gospel with Jewish people? I think, Abe, that Paul's expectation uh, 
would have been that these uh, Gentile believers who, who love the Jewish Messiah and now Savior of the world uh, would have a similar love for the Jewish people, uh, even though they were not believers. And unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And there was, as I said, a constant antagonism because the Jewish people were rejecting the gospel. Hmm. Rather than showing them love, they became sort of the, the enemies of the gospel. And uh, slowly, as the church became more and more Gentile and less and less Jewish, uh, it became uh, almost a non-idea. In other words, the idea of bringing the gospel to Jewish people really was not something that the church did. And uh, once the fourth century came and Constantine had the the Council of Nicaea, where where a lot of the Jewish roots of Christianity were removed, it just became uh, not part of the church's uh, DNA, so to speak, to bring the gospel to Jewish people to the point that the church sort of became anti-Semitic and was anti-Jewish. Instead of following what Paul had said, uh, they were doing the exact opposite. And I think Paul would have been disappointed at the history of the church as it related to Jewish people. Hmm. And and that's interesting. So, you know, the early church was primarily made up of messianic jews and we kind of forget that you know as as believers we forget that the first the early church the first century church they were messianic jews you know yeah you you don't convert you don't uh, lose your jewish identity you know you you, you're jewish and you can't change that um but the difference is they found faith in in jesus their messiah right right i think you know when you look at at the portion in Acts chapter 2, what, what we would call Peter's Pentecost message. Uh, he preached that message to Israel. Uh, he preached that message on the southern steps of the temple uh, as he was basically uh, there uh, wanting to share what had just happened to these believers in Jesus. And when it says 3,000 souls were saved that day, uh, it's, it's, it's really an interesting number because uh, Pentecost is, is uh, the equivalent of, of the Jewish feast of Shavuot, the right. feast of weeks, mm-hmm. uh, which traditional Judaism celebrates as the giving of the law. Mm-hmm. And when the law was given uh, in the Old Testament, 3,000 people were killed because of their disobedience uh, right. in bringing about the golden calf. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when uh, the Holy Spirit came upon that early church of Jewish believers, those 3,000 souls that were saved, in essence, were, were sort of a, the replacement of the 3,000 souls that were lost initially. Right. Uh, I think that's a, you know, a very important theme is the idea of the, the Spirit of God and how it, it changed everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I say he preached it on the southern steps is because 3,000 souls were saved and baptized, and the only place that many people uh, in Jerusalem could have been baptized was at the Southern Steps where all the mikvah baths were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so all of that took place. But it was a very Jewish church yeah, for yeah. quite a few years. But now that it's a, a Gentile church and ma- mostly made up of Gentiles, as we've been saying, how has this affected the way Jesus is represented to Jewish people? Well, I think we're sort of in the bizarre world in, in that everything is upside down. So, uh, Belief in Jesus to a Jewish person is considered almost abhorrent. It's it's not not part of who you are as a Jew. Uh, you know, a lot of Jews would say, 
I'm Jewish because I don't believe in Jesus. Right. Uh, and so uh, this this whole idea, very similar to the way the brothers of Joseph didn't recognize Joseph. Mm. Uh, when they saw him, what they saw was a, an Egyptian prince instead of their Jewish brother. Right. I think Jewish people now see this Gentilized Jesus Christ rather than Yeshua HaMashiach. Uh, Jesus is presented to them in a very Gentile way. Uh, and uh, growing up myself in Brooklyn, I thought Jesus Christ was his name. He was Jesus Christ, the son of Joseph and Mary Christ, <laughs> and, uh, and thought he was from Rome, Italy. And so, um, you know, the whole idea of Jesus being Jewish right. was, was so foreign. I mean, uh, I had a lot of non-Jewish friends in Brooklyn, but not once did anyone, anybody say to me that Jesus was Jewish. Mm. I always assumed that, that he was just a Gentile. Actually, I thought he was Italian. <laughs> That's awesome. And when did it click for you that he was Jewish? Just before I came to faith in Jesus. Wow. When, when my Italian wife told me that he was Jewish. <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, I, I guess it's it, with the church being so Gentile, um, with so many things in church history happening that kind of uh, alienate the Jewish people, it, it was easy to kind of set the stage for anti-Semitism in the church. So, you know, with that in mind, um, it seems that many have either forgotten or misinterpreted Romans 1.16. So where did this misunderstanding come from? What went wrong? Well, I, I think there's a couple of things. Um, number one, uh, the, the whole doctrine of replacement theology uh, made it very easy to be anti-Semitic because right. what replacement theology says is that the church has replaced Israel in the promises of God. Uh, and so there's no longer a special place for the Jewish people in God's eyes because now the church has replaced them. And if they're not going to believe in Jesus, then it's okay to mistreat them, especially mm. in light of uh, the history equated with uh, the Jews being partly responsible for the death of Jesus as they, you know, uh, turned him over to the Roman authorities for execution. Mm -hmm. I think that um, to the Jew first, uh, interpretively, in Romans 1.16, uh, there's this idea, if you look at the whole verse, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel as the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There's only one verb there. Mm. It's the, the verb is the Greek word estin, which is the, the little phrase it is. And it modifies two phrases. It modifies, it is the power of God unto salvation, and it modifies, it is to the Jew first. So typically, you'll hear this verse interpreted as saying it's what's known as a historical present tense when it refers to the Jewish people. In other words, the gospel came to the Jews first. Jesus came to his own people first, mm -hmm. and then the gospel came to the Gentile world. Mm -hmm. The problem with that interpretation, again, it's only one verb. And so that one verb, if it modifies, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, if that's a historical present tense, then it's no longer the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So there has to be a consistent interpretation. In other words, it's a continuous present tense. It is the power of God unto salvation. It continues to be the power of God unto salvation. It is to the Jew first, and it continues to be to the Jew first. Hmm. That would be a correct interpretation of it, but it's not interpreted that way. 
And so it's looked at as it happened in history, but now history is gone and now we're in the present tense mm. and it's no longer uh, a particularly important to, to bring the gospel to Jewish people. So in other words, we need to be students of the word and study it intently. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and, it's right in front of and us. And interpret things correctly. Right, right. So in light of, you know, the church's anti-Semitic history, what are some ways that we can help reconcile Jewish people with their Messiah? Well, I, I think it's critically important that uh, a ministry like ours, Chosen People Ministries, uh, is uh, at the forefront of bringing the Jewish roots of Christianity to the church in general. Uh, most godly Gentile believers have no idea about the Jewish roots of their faith. Hmm. And it's it's not their fault. It's just some, not something that has been emphasized. And I think we as a ministry, one of the ways that we could come alongside the church and help is to present the Jewishness of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, show the, the Last Supper, not as a, a supper, but as a Passover Seder meal, and understand the significance uh, of the, the Jewish elements in that Passover, how they all pointed to the Messiah. I mean, we're talking about one Bible that from the very beginning in chapter one of Genesis was talking about uh, the Messiah. And Jesus didn't just show up in Matthew. Right. He's throughout the scriptures. And right. so uh, it's important to get a sense of the Jewishness of the scriptures so that when we present Jesus to a Jewish person, understanding that they don't believe in the New Testament as the Bible, we have to do it on an Old Testament basis and show just how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. Mm. So what are some ways we as believers can fulfill Romans 116? But I'd also love for you to talk a little bit about how the church can also fulfill Romans 116, because I think this is both an individual uh, experience where, you know, we can go into relationship with Jewish people that we know. But but how can the church position themselves to fulfill Romans 116? Well, I think that a lot of that has to do with, with the church's emphasis. If, mm-hmm. if the church actually believes that, that we as Gentile, as we as the church, especially uh, the majority of the church or Gentile believers, have a responsibility to bring the gospel, uh, these, are the, these are the people through whom Jesus came. Yeah. And uh, to bring the gospel to them as a priority because of what Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, if they see that, then, then individually, individuals in the church who have relationships with Jewish people uh, can be more open in sharing their faith. And secondly, uh, pray about God bringing uh, a Jewish person into their life. Uh, Just going back to my testimony, uh, the man that I shared who who shared the gospel with me for the first time had never met a Jewish person in his life and was, was transferred from Texas to New York. And he knew New York had a lot of Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And his prayer, he was, a, he was a godly man. He prayed for the Lord to lead him to a Jewish person in whose life he can make an impact. Wow. And I was the answer to that prayer. And so uh, praying for uh, a Jewish person, uh, praying to meet a Jewish person that you can have an impact for the gospel is certainly one way of doing it. Uh, for the church itself, individual churches, especially those who are in areas where there are Jewish people is don't neglect bringing the gospel to Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and f- come alongside a ministry like ours, and uh, we 
we love to help uh, churches reach the Jewish people in their community. That, that's one of the one of the basis for the ministry that I oversee is uh, church ministries wants to help churches uh, obey that that uh, biblical command right. uh, to bring the gospel to Jewish people and to do it effectively. And, and that's part of what we do. Those are some great points, Rich. You know, I just started to think about your testimony again. Um, and if your boss had uh, had a different stance on bringing the gospel and maybe thought, you know, as a Jewish person, you shouldn't hear the gospel, um, where would you be today? You know, what kind of ministry yeah. would Chosen People Ministries be today um, if it wasn't for him? And that's, I think, the impact that we as believers uh, can bring because we never know. And, and, and yes, of course, the Jewish people um, and yes, everyone in the world, the kind of impact we would bring if we shared the gospel. Um, but, you know, it, it's a very clear uh, commission to share the gospel to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Rich, thank you so much um, for being a part of this podcast. Um, we'd love to give a free book to our listeners today, your book, sure. in fact. Um, can you just briefly talk a little bit about what they can expect when they read that book? And, and remind us what the name is one more time. It's The book is called The Heart of the Apostle. It's a commentary on Romans 9 through 11, which is really shows two main emphases. Number one, it shows Paul's heart for his people. Mm -hmm. the, the word heart is used four or five times in those three chapters. And Paul says his, his heart, he has uh, unceasing grief in his heart, uh, talking about the fact that as the gospel was going into the world, as he was preaching it, uh, more and more and more Jewish people were rejecting the gospel, and that was breaking his heart. Mm -hmm. uh, and then ultimately, uh, and he says, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. So even though he was the apostle to the Gentiles, uh, he still had a burden for his people. And then finally, you know, uh, the gospel has come to the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. So his heart was hopeful that Gentile believers uh, would have a special burden to be bringing the gospel to his Jewish brethren. Mm -hmm. And as we said, unfortunately, historically, he would have been very disappointed. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Thank you again, uh, Rich, for, for being a part of this. Sure. Thanks for having me. We cannot change the church's past failures to reach Jewish people with the gospel, nor can we undo centuries of anti-Semitic persecution against the Messiah's chosen people. But what we can do is change how we share the gospel in the future, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. You can order your free book, The Heart of the Apostle by Dr. Rich Freeman at ourhopepodcast.com slash freebook. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope Podcast. Today's episode was brought to you by Dr. Mitch Glazer, Nicole Vaca, Grace Swee, Elizabeth Carp, Kyron Bautista, Neil Saraski, and Dr. Rich Freeman. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. 
If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHoPodcast.com or ChosenPeople.com. See you next time.